23-year-old Tony Pike waits for the snap. Has the football. Short drop. Lobs one down the sideline for Bins. He's got it! Touchdown! 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 Welcome back! It's our special UC Football 2019 preview. Ed, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing all right. Awesome. Ten years, man. Ten years since that call by Dan Horde. I was sitting in Home Depot's parking lot. 23-year-old Tony Pike is now 33-year-old Tony Pike. He was actually just on uh, Cincy Shirts podcast. Was he? Talking about that and a bunch of other things. Good good listen, so go check that out after you listen to us. Only after you, after listen, you listen to us. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got a pretty good lineup for you tonight. We have uh, Justin Williams from The Athletic. We have Brandon from The Den UC. The UC Den, group. The yep. Den UC. Yeah. So, without further ado, you ready to get started? Let's get going. Let's do it. Special guest tonight is none other than a uh, almost regular at this point yeah. on our show, friend of the show, uh, Justin Williams of The Athletic. Uh, you can find him at Williams underscore Justin, just the way you think it's spelled. Um, Justin, welcome back. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So... We wanted to have this special University of Cincinnati football preview episode, and we thought to ourselves, none other than Justin Williams would be able to give us some of the insight that we are kind of wanting to know about as uh, <laughs> kind of just jumping right in. It's been maybe the craziest offseason in UC history uh, for both football and basketball, but kind of staying focused on football. Um, this offseason has been insane. Yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of started right after the, the bowl game with, like, you know, there were some of the, the fickle West Virginia rumors really kind of got going then and, you know, some wondering about assistant coach and stuff like that. But you were right, outside of even all of the, like, basketball stuff that was going on, whether it's been, you know, recruits, especially some of the local recruits like, like Evan Prater and Jaheim Thomas or just, you know the the expectations really that have that come with with what they were able to do last season. Uh, there's been there's been no no shortage of things to write about or talk about. So the first thing that I can think of that was maybe the biggest splash in the off season was the AAC has a new TV deal. So <laughs> without getting into the uh, the nitty gritty of all of it, um, just kind of trying to take maybe a, a forty thousand foot view of this thing. What does the new AAC TV deal mean for UC? Yeah, it's funny. I I, I t- like have kind of even forgotten about it. I feel like I've <laughs> it feels so long ago. I've like wiped so much of it from my brain. Sure. Um, it's it, it's a good for for the American Athletic Conference in general. It's a good deal. It's a step up. Everybody gets more money. Um, I mean, no matter what, however they framed it, however anyone else thought, like they were never going to get you know push up to power five type money but what they clearly did is they separated their conference from everyone else in the g5 like it's it's not even close um it's the, it's kind of a similar it's almost a similar gap to than what everyone else is to, to the, the g5 um in terms for uc i think it just reaffirms that they 
at some point need to get out of the conference. Um, and you know, the, the, the AAC is, is, a, is like I said, it's great among the, the G5s, but you see thinks of themselves and operates both financially and administratively as a power five school. You know, the, the ambitions they have, the facilities they, they have and they've invested in, the coaches they try to hire, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're acting and, and thinking like a power five conference. And it's just clear that they're not going to get that money and that kind of financial support from the American. And, you know, even there was talk about inverter um, tilting the, the revenue and, you know, giving top schools, whether that's UC or whoever else, more money. And, and I think there's some arguments to be made in that case, but it's still not going to get close to, you know, what the, the Pac-12 is getting or the SEC or obviously like the Big Ten, things like that. So... I think it, it's it's good. It's better than nothing. It's better than what they had before. But if you're UC, you're just you're seeing like well, we'll take a little bit of the extra money, but long term we have to figure out a way to position ourselves as a, as a power five school or or as a power school in whatever the future of college football basketball specifically kind of looks like. Now the American did try to lock UC down in their uh, like in the wording of the agreement, if I'm not mistaken. So what does it mean if UC is to leave with this TV deal in place now? And if there is, you know, conference realignment where maybe the Power Five goes to the rumored, um, you know, people have been talking about this for years, but if they went down to a four conference, uh, like a heavier 16-team four conference um, for the Power Five shrinking down, or if there's, um, you know, just general conference realignment. Yeah, I mean, it, so there is no grain of rights, and that was kind of when they were negotiating this deal, that was the question was, will there be a grain of rights, meaning that even if a team were to leave the the conference, their television rights would stay with that. And that was for as much as some of the things that UC would want, whether it's uh, tilted revenue or, you know, some admissions on kind of the streaming side, as much as they weren't going to get that from the conference, the conference was never going to get a grant of rights from like UCF, USF, Houston, UC, those top schools. That just wasn't going to happen. So if there is realignment at any point in the length of this like ridiculously long 12-year deal, um, which again, that makes sense for the the conference. I, I understand everything on that side. If, well, the way UC is looking at it is if they end up do leaving in, in any type of realignment, Assuming it's to a Power Five type conference or a conference with more money, it's really not going to matter. They're going to have to pay this exit fee, which is what came up when UConn just recently left and went to the Big East in basketball. I think I, I don't know the exact numbers offhand. It's like a ten million dollar exit fee over twenty seven months, and so then if you leave quicker than those twenty seven months, like like UConn did, the right. exit fee kind of has to get negotiated up. But that won't be a problem if UC's going to a power conference and getting more money because they're going to be getting a ton more money. And so they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay whatever we're going to have to pay to get out of here because it's going to offset with the new money that we're making. The, I think the bigger question is just if and when that will be able to happen. I think it seems unlikely that the Big 12 just does a, a straight you know, two-team expansion or something like that in any time in the next five years. They, they at least have not given any inclination that they want to do that yet. But uh, a lot of these TV deals are coming up then, like 2024, 2025, things like that for conferences. And I think that is when you'll start to see some type of realignment shuffling. The Athletic did a big series on this just a month or so ago, like a realignment look. And uh, there, there was some you know, fact that within 
the past 10 years, every conference has had some type of realignment movement, um, you know, starting in or going back to 2013 or whatever it was. So like we're, we're going to be coming up on that number pretty soon. So I, I do think there'll be some movement and I think UC will do whatever they can to position themselves to not get left behind then. But I don't think it'll be as simple as like the big 12, just, you know, saying, come on, join us as we are. It's always disappointing when I hear those words. <laughs> uh, and you mentioned UConn leaving the AAC. So what? Just as another thing that happened this off season. Um, so what does this mean yeah. for the conference in their big picture? Football wise, I really don't think it means anything. It, it, in some ways, you could say that it's a benefit just because of how bad UConn is and it's going to be this year. Right. And honestly, like. As much as I, I, I truly believe that UC is, is still kind of at its core a basketball school, at least at the moment, that, you know, the football is, is what matters when it comes to conference money and, and television money and all that kind of stuff. So in that sense, uh, the conference I don't think is, is really sweating it too much. It does have a little impact on basketball. UConn hasn't been that good since they won the title in 2014 or whatever that was. But I, I think um, Danny Hurley's a good coach. I think they're going to get better. And so I think, you know, you then take away another potential, you know, well-known branded team, uh, a team that can, you know, maybe get to the NCAA tournament every year and things like that. And so that hurts the, the conference's overall standing. But more than anything, it's just going to kind of be a pain in the way they're going to have to figure out their scheduling specifically on the football side. They talked about that they don't want to go unbalanced divisions. Um, you know, they've talked about that they would, at this point, kind of like to stay at 11. So they're going to have to figure out the whole host of things, like, you know, how they split up conference games. You know, if they have to add or subtract any, they're going to have to get, I think, some kind of a waiver from the NCAA that allows them to keep a championship game. And they're going to have to figure out, you know, do, do we have the top two teams every year playing a championship? So there's, it's really kind of convoluted, but there's a lot of stuff that they're going to have to figure out specifically on the football scheduling side um, just to make things work and make sense in the way that the conference wants them to, which is right now they don't seem too keen on adding anyone and they don't want to go unbalanced divisions. So how they're going to figure that out, and they're going to have to do that within the next six to eight months because uh, UConn's leaving after the 2019-20 the season. So that that's going to kind of be the biggest shoot a drop from all of that but in terms of just UConn's impact on leaving I, I really don't think it'll make that much of a difference the biggest thing on the basketball side is like again it just highlights how there are no really rivals there's no geographical footprint from the conference right and I think that's really hard especially with with home games like when when you're playing Tulsa and, and Tulane even if it's a good a good UCF team or something like that there's just not the history there that people have with with Xavier, obviously, or even like Louisville or something. And so I, I think the biggest part is, while UC-UConn wasn't like this great story drive all over you, it was one of the strongest ones they had within the conference. And on the basketball side, they lose another one of those. The people who stayed awake for that crazy overtime game would argue otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see uh, somebody had Taco Fall autograph a picture of a taco this week? No. Yeah. Who did that? Somebody on the internet had somebody had uh, a Taco Fall sign a picture of a taco. <laughs> um, I thought it was hilarious. So play <laughs> with me here, Justin. I mean, if you were the president of the conference, would, what would you do in this situation? Would you want to try and get somebody else? Because there's really not a whole lot of teams to get. 
or you better buy the subtraction? I think if they seem, the people that I've talked to at the conference level seem to believe that they can make the the 11-team conference schedule work in terms of keeping a championship game and, you know, figuring out the, the conference games and not having to add or subtract uh, out-of-conference games, non-conference games, all that kind of stuff. If that's the case, if that, if that actually can be worked out, then I think you're fine sticking with 11. I, there aren't any teams that jump out to me out there that I think are going to benefit the the conference from an overall like variety BYU and strength perspective. Like a BYU? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, BYU maybe, but that's like, and it opens up a whole bunch of just pain-in-the-ass travel stuff that you have to get into. No Sunday games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, they've they have had some success in, in football and basketball, but it's not like, you know, they're uh, uh, even at a Boise State level or something like that. But that's another school that you just, there's terrible travel logistics if you involve that. And people have talked about, like, Georgia State, you know, which is just a big school and it gives you the Atlanta market. But you're really taking a gamble that they're going to be able to use a little bit of extra money and, and a better conference and be able to turn themselves into kind of a, a successful, reputable football program in the next three or four years and that's that's just a tough ask so no i mean i I actually think sticking at 11 is probably pretty smart as long as you can can work out all the wonkiness but that just it seems like that might be an easier issue to solve than adding a 12 team that doesn't continue to kind of drag down the conference in in both football and and men's basketball all right so you kind of alluded to this earlier um luke fickle Interviewed with West Virginia, correct? Interview might be too strong of a word. Okay. He accepted a call from West Virginia. So, Fickle had some interest. You know, I'll admit I don't know exactly to what extent it went from um, Louisville and Purdue this offseason, hmm. um, if I'm remembering correctly. Definitely, or Louisville and Maryland, excuse me. Not Purdue, Louisville and Maryland. Uh, now, again, I don't know what to what extent their interest was, but they reached out and Fickle, uh, you know, from what I've heard and feel comfortable reporting, just didn't even entertain that. Um, kind of immediately uh, shot it and respectfully shot it down. With West Virginia, he has a relationship with um, Gordon Gee, the president over there. And so I, I think he talked to him or talked to someone about it. I think he considered it. Um, I've heard from people that the job was basically his if he wanted it. Um, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily report that that's 100% true, but just people that have, have been around um, the situation, I've, I've heard that from people. And and I think he, he might have thought about it at least more than those other two, but I, I don't know that I would say that it was like a formal interview or a formal offer or anything like that, and, and I don't know exactly how close he got to it. I've asked him about it. I asked him about it early offseason, and in his mind it was kind of like out of respect for someone I knew. I took the call. I discussed it with him. But, you know, he says that he never, he seems to make it seem that he never seriously considered it and that he's happy where he's at. And, you know, I I take him at his word on that. So, realistically, how much more time do you think Cincinnati has to share with Fickle? I mean, I know, and I know this is the thing that comes up, and if he has another good year, it's going to be what everyone talks about again. And I know that's partly because of, of the experience fans have had here with successful coaches in the past. 
I, I've asked him about it. Other people have asked him about it. He says all the right things when you ask him about it, which is he's he's not looking at the next job. He's happy where he's at. Um, Marcus Freeman, I, I did a Q&A with him earlier this offseason, which he told me that Luke Fickle's wife runs the show. She's the boss. <laughs> He he, he kind of says the same thing. Like, if I pick up and move to another job, I'm not sure if my wife and my six kids are going to come with me. Like, he, he said all these things. Um, I I believe him when he says that things because in my other experiences, he you know he's he's pretty much a a, a straight shooter and says what he believes and what he feels. The I, I do think there are jobs out there that he would at least have to consider, and you know they're they're pretty obvious ones. It's Michigan State, Notre Dame, Ohio State. You know, maybe like a Penn State or Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm not even sure on those. Whether those jobs would get offered to him or are even going to come open, who knows? And and what, however he would respond if and when that happened, I'm not saying it would be like an automatic bolt. But outside of I think those handful of of kind of obvious big time jobs, you know, he's made it pretty clear he's not just looking to jump to to the next available thing. He he could have done that already probably, or at least entertain that that possibility a lot more than he has so I, I i think he likes where he lives i think he likes where his family's at you know he, he obviously has strong columbus ties but he, he's still pretty close both professionally and personally there um and so i i think i think when as as kind of hard as it is for some people to believe i think when he says like i'm not just looking to, to jump to the next job or take the next job I, I think that's true but everyone says that up until a point and then you know there are dream jobs, and and I think sure. if if one or a couple of those got offered, he'd he'd really have to think about it, and and could potentially leave for that. But and from my perspective, it's kind of like that's that's one of those things you have to to worry about if it happens because right now those those jobs don't come open that often, anyways. Now there's something to be said for him being in on the hiring process for the other coaches at UC as well, correct? Meaning like Coach Brannon and, and things like that? Like the baseball coach, um, Coach Brannon, um, and yeah. the, the women's basketball coach. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think that shows that he clearly has some, you know, belief and investment in the university. I think a big part of that is also um, the administration, the athletic director, asking him to do that when they go and do those things. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, it, that, that would be something where he could easily say like, nah, no, I don't think so. Or when he's talking to those people could, you know, give off some kind of vibe, but he clearly hasn't done that. Just found it intriguing is I don't recall any other coach being that heavily involved firsthand like that. Yeah. I mean, offhand, I, you know, you hear, well, you know, maybe when you're talking about like, I guess you hear that well, there's something like Tom Brady was involved in Kevin Durant's free agency thing you know, hear about that stuff kind of professionally in, in free agency but you don't really hear about it too much in college when it comes to, to jobs uh but that also i think speaks to you know the thing that people always talk about with fickle is that especially if you have any kind of ohio midwest ties like he can make a connection with you and that's you hear that time and time again like he you know oh, where you're from he, he knows someone from there he recruited someone from there whatever and so i think that's kind of an, an easy person to bring along to that interview setting when you're, you're looking to make a connection with someone that's awesome uh just seeing him that involved so i want to play a little game with you here and okay um i have the uh pretty much the entire recruiting class of 2019 um which is 79th ranked in the nation 
Uh, seventh ranked in the AAC, and that's all according to uh, your boy Chad Brendel at BearcatJournal.com. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> so I wanted to run through these names, and if there's anything you can say after having seen these guys at higher ground, and we'll get to higher ground here in a little bit, um, just if you've seen anything, if you have any little blurb about them, um, or even if it's just a word, feel free to jump in. Otherwise, I'll just move on to the next guy. So, okay. First and foremost, uh, three-star quarterback Cameron Jones of Lexington, Kentucky. Three-star cornerback. Go ahead. But you want me to jump in on each one, or if you have anything through? on these guys, anything that you've seen. If you haven't seen anything, I totally understand. There's a lot of guys out there. I mean, Cam Jones is gigantic. I, I honestly like do not see how he sticks at, at quarterback, in part because <laughs> of just the talent they already have at that position. Sure. Um, but like, even if they just bring him in in like a Tim Tebow style goal line, you know, formation or something like that, that's a lot to ask for a true freshman. I just he, there are very few football players at all that are his size, let alone quarterbacks. But um, yeah, long term, I just. I, I would be shocked if he's stuck at that position. But I think wherever he ends up, he's gonna, he has a lot of potential. Uh, you got three-star cornerback Justin Harris of Dayton, Ohio. He and, you know, I think Ahmad Gardner is probably, you know, next down close on your list. Both those guys are going to play this year. You know, maybe not a ton of snaps as true freshmen, but I've, I've generally I feel like whether they're freshman cornerbacks or rookie cornerbacks professionally, they just usually get, burnt and abused early on and both those guys like they, they look like veterans so far they're both going to be really good i like the sound of that uh three-star offensive tackle jonathan allen of dayton ohio he's also huge he's been rehabbing a lot during camp so haven't seen a lot on the field but another ridiculously big body have the he's like six five three fifty basically goodness uh three-star defensive end stephen hawthorne of chicago He's done a lot more run recently at that jack position that they play, and part of that is because Basevich they lost him um, to an Achilles injury. Um, so you know he's and you could say this about a lot of these guys, but like they they come in looking a lot more polished and and bigger than freshmen have recently. So I don't know how much Hawthorne gets on the field, but compared to some of these other freshmen, he probably has a better chance this year. Three-star athlete Zach Hummel of Hilliard. Yeah, I think they have him at defensive end right now. He, he's going to kind of be buried on the depth chart. I think he'll probably redshirt, but uh, great hair on Hummel. Great hair. <laughs> yeah. uh, three-star outside linebacker Dorian Holloway of Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, so he's kind of recruited for that sniper position. And, again, they have a, they have a lot of guys there, you know, specifically Jarrell White and, uh, and Darian Beaver is the new transfer. So, he he will he's probably a good redshirt um, prospect for this year as well. Three star defensive end Isaiah Ruffin of Oak Park, Illinois. He's been rehabbing from injuries this this offseason or during camp, so he hasn't really been out on the field much. Three star wide receiver Trey Tucker of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Crazy fast, insane burner. Like feel it kind of feels like he's floating when he runs i mean they're gonna they're gonna have to figure out whether it's just sending him on go routes or trick plays or they're gonna have some kind of package where they're gonna have to get him on the field in the slot this year so so far he's the most likely to see the field of all of these guys oh you know like the two corners i think more so harrison and gardner um but you know it's 
for, especially at that position, the slot wide receiver position with Medeiros and uh, Jayshon Jackson kind of having it down, it's impressive that he's basically going to have to force them to, to give him some snaps. Awesome. Three-star safety Jacob Dingle of Louisville. He also, I think his dad played either, there's, a, there's Dingle and Ingle. Ingle's a linebacker, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's kind of hard to keep them straight sometimes. One of their dads played, I think it was Dingle at UC, um, but Dingle has like kind of a surfer flow hair, uh, but he, he also seems like uh, another likely redshirt candidate. Same with, same with Ingle whenever we get to him. So you're just admiring hair on the sidelines. <laughs> Yeah, you know, with with so many young guys, you got to figure out how to differentiate them. That's fantastic. uh, It's a lot lot of numbers out there. No names on the jerseys in practice, so got to find something. I'm not hating the game. I get it. Um, (laughs) Three-star quarterback Michael Lindauer from Evansville, Indiana. Very, very athletic, like a you know classic three-star or a three-sport high school guy. There was some story that they were playing a pickup basketball game and he, he dunked on somebody earlier this summer. Um, you know, he, he's going to stick a quarterback. He's not really getting a ton of snaps in practice. He'll, he'll basically run the scout team all year, I would think. Um, but uh, I, I think kind of an up-and-coming talent that they were really happy they landed uh, when they did. Three-star wide receiver Jaquan Shepard from Zephyr Hills, Florida. So they actually have Shepard at uh, safety. Um, okay. And he, again, like, they're kind of stacked to safety right now, so he'll probably redshirt. But uh, he has good size, and I think he'll be a good player down the road. Um, you already mentioned uh, Ahmad Gardner, who is of Detroit, Michigan, so we won't spend any time there. But uh, three-star defensive end Eric Phillips of Cincinnati's Colerain High School. So he's, he's gotten a lot bigger. Um, let's see what they have. They have him at 302 on the roster and they they've got him moved inside so he'll be he'll be a defensive tackle same kind of deal i think he's going to need some some time to come along he'll probably redshirt they have some pretty decent depth at that defensive tackle spot but uh he's, he's definitely a big kid and, and looks apart you also mentioned three-star outside linebacker brody engel of cincinnati's LaSalle high school mm-hmm. and then we have three-star offensive tackle marcelo mendiola from chicago as well yeah, so they've been playing him at guard, and he's actually kind of worked his way up into the two deep, and and at least oh, wow. in practice has been playing um, second team left guard. Now I don't know if that means that he would be like the first guard to go in off the bench. It might be Vincent McConnell who can kind of move around a couple of different places, but yeah, he, he's already he's already kind of worked his way into the second team at that left guard position. Well, we were thin at left guard to begin with, as uh, told by your shoulder shrug on the early depth chart projections <laughs> um, two star offensive tackle Savion Herring from Irvington New Jersey I actually do not know if he I don't believe he's on the roster right now um, I don't know if he if he didn't end up in, in camp or if he's you know they have some guys who are like working back from from injury um, but I, I so I just don't have anything on him at the moment blame your boy Brendel all right so more interestingly though we have the transfers so Mm -hmm. i know you got some blurbs on these guys because i'm way excited about these guys blue smith from ohio state four-star wide receiver yeah so obviously it's a big deal that they got him uh immediately eligible so i mean they he's he's a richer freshman they have for four more years which is crazy he was really starting to pick up steam um 
just you know a couple weeks ago in camp and kind of picked up a foot injury so he's working his way back he was he's been in kind of a boot but today he was doing a little bit of side work and had the boot off uh so i i do think it kind of probably stunted a little bit of the the progress that he had made uh, but the other thing i was talking to one of the assistants about him and they were just like you gotta remember how young he is like we got him for four more years so um, I think he'll play this year. I think he'll, you know, have some kind of an impact, but it, it might not be. Uh, it might be another year or so before we really see kind of the the full impact they're going to get from him. And fellow wide receiver from Ohio State, Garen Prater. Yeah, so obviously, you know, uh, you know, the older brother of of Evan Prater, who they landed for for twenty twenty from Wyoming. Uh, Garen picked up. He had a back injury this summer that he picked up before he got here, and honestly, he just. He's been working back from that, has not had a chance to get on the field. He's been on the side working pretty much all of camp. So, you know, a big body, and I know somebody that was kind of impressing as a walk-on at Ohio State, but I, I think it could be a while before we really see him play any meaningful snaps this year because he just really hasn't been on the field in camp at all. So with them both being injured, is that why Ohio State played so nice? Garen was a walk-on and <laughs> is still a walk-on, so he he was able to just move immediately. Um, I I I think probably you know I, they Pickles obviously made it clear that they helped out Blue Smith. Yeah. Um, I I doubt their reasons for that were because they they were just being uh, you know super super charitable, but uh, Fickle has made it pretty clear that they they didn't have to to help so. Uh, maybe that is what it is. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> three-star linebacker Darian Beavers from UConn. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, no offense to UConn, but it's kind of like I, I, I can't believe they landed this kid. Um, he was the <laughs> best player on the worst defense in the history of college football last year, <laughs> and he was gone. So it's not going to be well for UConn this season. But, no, he's ridiculous. He's actually, earlier this week, he kind of, him and White have been trading off snaps with the first team at, oh, wow. at Sniper. And just earlier this week, he, he was kind of a 1A to, to White's 1B and, you know, took over what would be the starting role. Now, we'll see if, if he's the first guy out there against UCLA. I don't know. But he's clearly going to have a, a big role on the, the defense this season. Being able to get him immediately eligible was, was huge. And just... What they want out of that sniper position is kind of size and versatility, and he's let's see, six three, two hundred thirty five pounds. He played safety in high school. He played defensive end um, at, at UConn some last year, and now he's basically playing like a hybrid linebacker. So, so he's quick. clearly just a ridiculously versatile player. Right, long, tall, and I, I I think if he kind of puts it all together, he could he could really be a, a huge huge player for them this year. Three-star linebacker Tanash Bear, who transferred from Duke. Yeah, so he's he's been injured as well, and I you know like I think wasn't on the official, um, what it like one ten roster. Been working his way back from injury, um, so I, I think he'll 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 be with the team going forward this year. But whether he win or whether he'll be able to get back on the field from injury, I'm I'm not sure yet. I haven't really seen him out there at all. One of the guys who a lot of people were talking about, three-star safety, Kyrie McDonald from Alabama. Yeah, so he's another guy they got immediately eligible. He's basically backing up James Wiggins. So, you know, it's not that Wiggins is going to be coming off the field that often. But last year they 
literally had zero depth at safety and this year that's much improved and mcdonald's a big part of that and they, you know they messed around with a couple of different um defensive formations and, and actually had mcdonald and in, in there some on those so i he'll definitely see the field and should play on special teams and all that kind of stuff um it's not like he's gonna be starting but uh he should be a helpful player for them especially depth wise and most notably you have four star james hudson from michigan so I want to go a little can't, bit in depth on this one. Can't imagine there's anything to talk about. <laughs> so obviously there's been all kinds of crazy beef with Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, Luke Fickle, uh, James Hudson, James Hudson's mom, the NCAA. <laughs> what could have been done differently? Because this has gotten so ugly and it's gotten so public. And for a kid who's already having issues with, you know, mental like mental illness as far as depression and everything else goes this can't be good for his psyche right i mean i i am not an expert in basically anything and certainly not mental health um so you know i i won't speak to that uh james has not spoken with media since he came to uc and i think that's kind of a joint decision between him and them and, and i totally respect that uh as far as what could have been done i mean again a, a lot of this goes back to the uh, that he said he said that went on between Harbaugh and Fickle. You know, Fickle believes very strongly that Michigan could have could have helped out if they wanted to. Harbaugh has made it very clear that you know he believes they have no impact on that, and that's handled at the NCAA. And I'm, I feel like I've parsed that argument enough. But I think what's obvious is the the waiver rule and the transfer rule in the NCAA is, is what has caused all of this. And so they need to figure out going forward whether that is the one-time, you know, penalty-free transfer that everyone gets or whether that's, hey, if you transfer, you have to sit out a year no matter what. Because the reason all this started is they had that sit-out rule, but then they said, well, what if there's extenuating circumstances? And, and they went through a list of what those extenuating circumstances could be, whether it was like your coach got fired or your coach was a jerk and mistreated you or if your wife or girlfriend's having a baby, you know, your parent is, is very sick any kind of number of things that when you say it yeah that makes sense but then you start to get into shades of gray on like well how close does your family have to be or you know what what exactly meets the directive of mental illness or injury or any kind of the, those kind of things and so you just get in these areas where justin fields and tate martell can transfer um but James Hudson and whoever the tight end, Luke Ford, you know, those guys get their waivers denied. And so the only way this could have been avoided is if there was kind of a clear-cut rule and directive on on waivers and transfers, and there isn't. And it's worked out for the majority of the UC guys, but it has not obviously worked out in, in James's favor in terms of getting on the field. Now, with that all being said, why was it night and day between dealing with Ohio State transfers versus Michigan and James Hudson? And I know, you know, Coach Fickle has also kind of spoke to the fact that, you know, Michigan just didn't play along, whereas things just went way different. And he, you know, uh, Harbaugh tried to say that Fickle tried to coach him on how to do this and what have you, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the most obvious thing, specifically with, like, the difference between Blue Smith and James Hudson is that in the Ohio State case, they submitted the waiver for Blue Smith and had documentation from a team, doctor, physician, program, doctor, physician, whatever, that kind of spoke to um, 
some some mental health issues or injury issues that that Blue is having, and there's kind of this weird bylaw um, within the NCAA guidelines that allows them to do this. Now that's not something that was an option for Michigan because they did not have any documentation of James struggling with mental health issues or mental illness while he was at Michigan. And, and James has talked about that. He didn't speak up while he was there and, and has his reasons for that. So that kind of Avenue was not available to, for Michigan to do, even though Ohio state did. Now what Luke Fickle would tell you is like Ohio state didn't have to do that. And while maybe Michigan could not have specifically followed that bylaw, they could have made a uh, more of an effort to, to help James become eligible. And again, Michigan would say differently. So that's kind gotcha. of, it's, it's lost in the sauce for, for some people and that's fine. Um, but that's what you're looking at. There is kind of two totally different situations. Um, and, you know, I, I think what it came down to, especially with Hudson is, is fickle felt like they, there is some directive or motive among coaches to do whatever they can to help the players. And he feels like Michigan didn't do that. Michigan feels like that opportunity was not there for them. And that kind of difference of opinion is, is why is one reason why James is not playing this year. Now your article that you wrote for the athletic about this whole saga, how much attention has that garnered and how bad has the blowback from Michigan fans been? (laughs) Michigan fans were not happy with it. And I, (laughs) I understand why I do. I genuinely, you know, did not, come to the story with an agenda. I tried to report it uh, out as, as fair and, and balanced as I possibly could. Um, obviously, you know, when you have uh, the mom of a player and the coach of that player kind of making very bold, strong statements in favor of that, and then uh, the other school, which is kind of just responding um, and, and, and giving statements on, on those situations, I, I realize how it can kind of read as like, being slanted to one side, but that truly was not my intention. Um, I think that was just a product of, of some of the quotes that were coming from people. It definitely got a lot of attention. Um, I, as soon as I got a call in which I was talking to Harbaugh, um, in respect, you know, about responding to some, some things I'd gotten from other sources, I, I realized that say it again, one-on-one with Harbaugh. Well, I mean, there was, uh, an, another athletic department official, on the call and then like the, the Michigan <laughs> media guy was, was on the call. But yeah, as soon as I got the call that says I have Jim Harbaugh here to, you know, to talk to you, I knew the story was going to get bigger. Um, and, and that, and that's, awesome. that was great. You know, it, it, it was, it was a big story, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I, as, as one media member told me, I probably shouldn't wear a name tag the next time in, I'm in Ann Arbor and I, I don't intend to, but um, <laughs> I, genuinely, I genuinely only had, had no ill will towards Michigan or Michigan fans, but I also I understand how fandom works and I understand uh, why they, they might have been upset with the story, even though I don't think they should have technically been upset with me, but that's a whole other, whole other issue. <laughs> that's why we love you, man. Um, <laughs> so, in lighter news, the recruiting class of 2020 has been amazing. It's ranked 46th in the nation, second in the AAC, way better than 2019. Not that we don't expect to see some gems come from 2019, but we're the class is led by four stars, quarterback Evan Prater of Wyoming High School, as you aforementioned, and also outside linebacker Jaheim Thomas from Princeton High School. 
We also have 14 three stars, and that's even before we get to, you know, kind of the closing deadlines of all of this. What are your thoughts on this whole recruiting class of 2020, and why has it been such a big change from 2019? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably more fair to compare 18 and 20. You know, 19, because they had such a, a young roster and such a big young class in 2018 and, and were able to redshirt a lot of those guys, they just didn't have a lot of holes to fill in the 2019 class. So I think they kind of went after – um, some guys that they thought could be good long-term projects and prospects and, and diamonds in the rough for them and, and really kind of fit needs that they had. Uh, whereas as 2020, I mean, I think it's a product of a lot of things. It was their third full recruiting class that they were they were able to get in and, and get to these kids early, whether it was in kind of their summer skills camp or when working with the high schools. So basically when these kids first started getting offers from colleges, even if that's you know, smaller Mac schools, conference USA schools, whatever, like UC was there and they were on them so they could make these relationships with the big, from the beginning. And I think that is really big when you talk about guys like Evan Prater and Gene Thomas and some of the other local guys, David Jones from Lakota and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, I, you know, it also doesn't help that it's it's easy to, to, to pitch guys on kind of a message and a vision, but when you can go 11-2 and two and sure. show the success that you had, that that just adds to whatever good things they were hearing from you, um, you know, in their recruiting pitches and things like that. So I think the combination of the staff being in place, fickle staff being in place and really getting to dig in on these relationships early and then starting to see some of that success individually for players and overall as a team on the field, you know, that, that, that thing resonates a lot more, even if you're a, a four star kid who could go anywhere in the country and play quarterback, you know, Hey, when, when you have, your, your hometown school right down the road making this push on you, it, I think it, it kind of holds a little bit more weight than if you're going 4-8 and eight or anything like that. Well, not to mention the fact that he might actually get to throw a pass to his brother. Um, there, you know, there's something to be said for that. Sure, and you know, I I, uh, I don't how, how should I say this? I, I think it's very smart that Garen Prater is on the roster. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, Jaheim Thomas's older brother, Jair Thomas, is on the roster as a true freshman walk-on wide receiver. Okay. Um, so I, I think I think those are both very smart, shrewd moves by the University of Cincinnati. Love it. So how was your higher ground experience this year? And, you know, I think this is, what, our third year in a row at higher ground? Is that correct? For the team, no, it's like the 21st year. Yeah, Tony Pike what, used to go there. What was it, Notre Dame yeah, that tried been, to step in? Yeah, they've been out in? there since, uh, since the Rick Minner years. Yeah. Was it Notre Dame that tried to step in a couple of years ago and tried to use higher ground as well then with Brian Kelly? Yeah, it was Brian. When Brian Kelly went to Notre Dame, he didn't necessarily try to kick UC out. He just also wanted to bring Notre Dame there in gotcha. addition to UC. Um, but as the as the story goes, the, the week that he was hoping to show up, UC – just magically decided to show up a couple days earlier, and, uh, and and Notre Dame was unable to attend. Got him. Um, so, how was your experience there this year? Then, it, you know, last year was my, was my first year covering it out there. Um, it's it's definitely it's an experience. It's a little bit of a hike to get out there. Um, you know, the West Harris in Indiana every day. It's it's beautiful. It can be outrageously ridiculously hot. A lot, of, a lot of sunscreen, a lot of bug spray. Um, from a team perspective, it's just, it's just really cool, though. And, and you get to see that 
through talking to players and talking to coaches just to be able to go out there and I mean, yeah, they have their cell phones and stuff like that, but like they can't go anywhere. They are they are stuck in this area. They eat with each other. They, they hang out with each other. All they really have time to do is get to know each other and focus on football. And there's, I think, a real huge benefit um, in that from 18 to 22 year old kids. And so, from that perspective, I think it's it's a really cool, beneficial experience. Uh, and, and just in terms of what the product looked like on the field, you know, I, I think you're seeing a team that had a lot of success and made a lot of progress last year, but also has, now has a lot of extra eyes and expectations on them. And some of that is, is obvious of, of them rising to a, that occasion, and, and some of it is them trying to make sure that they don't drop off, whether it was from losing guys or, you know, sophomore slumps or anything like that. So um, a, a lot of intense practice, especially the past couple you know, the last week and a half or so as they finished up there. Today was their last day. Um, so the, the focus is, is definitely still there, uh, but you can also see just kind of the confidence and progress that the team has made as well. So how much more energy was there during the time that Pat McAfee was able to spend with the team? <laughs> Took my question. Yeah, we were all there that day. It was, it was pretty cool. You know, He showed up and had a, you know, a, a small entourage with him, four or five guys who were kind of working some of the cameras and stuff like that. Um, some people clearly didn't, you know, necessarily know who he was, um, <laughs> and the, but some of the players were just super jazzed to have him out there. Uh, you know, honestly, from that perspective, I I never really, you know, had met or known Pat at all before that. The fact that he came out there and you know spent the whole day, especially just spent a bunch of time with James Smith and some of the other specialists, mm-hmm. I think that was, that was pretty cool on on his part uh, to to have done that. And yeah, you know, it, it seemed like they. You know, they they laid out the red carpet for him, and, and, and he seemed to have a good time up there. Uh, it, the videos were so cool, just seeing Pat out there and Pat being Pat. You know, he's just yeah. – he's a personality, man. Like, literally, I, I have no clue, even listening to his stories that he's told, how he was ever on an NFL roster. Oh, no, I, no, no, no clue at all. This is his last one about being up in Toronto. I'm just like, yeah, how did you pass, ever pass a drug test? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I don't know, just way cool to see that kind of literally national attention exactly. on, on our boys, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, just yeah, really cool. and you got to give UC credit, like, you know, they, they do a great job from kind of the, the marketing, you know, video branding standpoint. Like, they reached out to them, they wanted them to come out there, and they set it all up, and, and that's something that I know they focus a lot on and put a lot of time and energy into, and they, they do a great job on that front. So... Now I'm kind of going to get into the breakdown of the position uh, areas, um, much like you did with your athletic pieces. Um, obviously not as in-depth as your athletic pieces. Um, and I don't think you've even finished yet, correct? No. I'm, uh, if people are listening to this on, what, Wednesday? Wide receivers comes out on Wednesday, and then uh, offensive line will be out by the end of the week, and that, that'll wrap it up. Those were the two I couldn't find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all, I I went in chronological order um, as you posted them. So defensive line, we lost a ton of production, losing Cortez Broughton, losing Marquise Copeland, losing Kimoni Fitz, and between all three of them, they each of them started 13 games. Between all three, there was 153 tackles. There were 34 tackles for loss, um, 18 and a half sacks. If you add up all of their sack totals, I saw you wrote 15, but I don't know if that comes from actual game totals. 
or if I was counting wrong, I don't know. Um, one forced fumble, <laughs> one fumble recovery, and one touchdown. Um, that's a lot of production to be losing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, all, all three made some level, either first or second team, all-conference squads last year. You know, senior leaders who guys who played a bunch of snaps in their career, they, they understood what it took to – you know, go through a, the grind of a college season as, as starters and main guys. So, and then you know, leadership. Obviously, they're 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 losing a lot of you know toughness, leadership. Sure. Um, you know, senior personalities, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's interesting, actually. I think that particular write up would have benefited kind of with what I'm doing with wide receiver and offensive line in terms of waiting because there were definitely all those questions. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so, kind of entering camp. But everything that I've heard and, and seen and, and talked to people about so far in camp, you know, none of those guys, nobody's going to jump in and, and replicate what those guys did individually last year. But I, I do think the, the team and the staff feel really good about how the, the guys who are there now have performed so far in camp, um, both at the defensive end and the defensive tackle spot. I think you're going to see a lot more rotation um, and playing, you know, six to eight guys as opposed to four or five. But uh, I, I think at least thus far we haven't got on the field and done it live yet. But from what we've seen and everything we can go off of thus far, they've been happy with the, the progress those guys have made. Now the only returning starter is junior Michael Pitts. Is he going to mm-hmm. be starting? And who else do you think is going to be starting from what you've seen so far? Yeah, Pitts will start. Um and then uh, at the other, at the, uh, at the jack spot, at the defensive end spot on the other side where Kamani was, uh, Majai Sanders should be the starter there. I think you'll see a lot of Malik Mann as well and, and probably some Kevin Muhan. But um, they're really high on Sanders and just, you know, he, he has the, the body and skill of an NFL defensive end. You know, whether he is able to get to that level, we'll see, but he has all that, that potential. And then a defensive tackle, I you know, it kind of changes. I think if I had to pick two starters, I'd go Ponder Taylor right now. But it's Ponder Taylor, Brooks, Marcus Brown, all four of those guys are going to play a bunch and they're going to rotate constantly. So I, I kind of think the starters there are a little bit irrelevant. They feel good about all four of those guys and feel confident about having them in there. And, and so I don't know that the breakdown will be exactly like 25% for all four of them, but it's it's going to be pretty close in the end because they feel good about all of them so there's going to be a lot more name tag swaps than what we saw last year yeah i mean i i think whether it's within a drive or you know trading off drives you're just you're going to see a lot of insane on you know uh ethan tucky's going to play a lot at at the jack spot um, in relief of pits and he played a good amount last year but i mean all eight of those guys Nine, if you throw in Wuhan, maybe Deshaun Martin at defensive tackle. You know they're all, they're all going to get run, so you're you're looking at a, a lot of rotation up front. Was it Ethan Tucky who blocked the field goal last year, or blocked a punt last year? Blocked the punt, yeah. Okay. I think against Tulane, if I remember correctly. Okay, I thought I, that's where I remembered that name from. Um, anyone else that you think that we should be watching from outside what you've already talked about on the defensive line? Yes. No, you know, I think it would have been interesting to see if if um, if Basevich would have been able to get in this year because he kind of looks apart, and that's that's a bummer that they're losing him to to injury. But yeah, I mean, I think the the kind of the biggest storyline there is just how much they're going to rotate and kind of looking to see what those what benefit having some fresh legs in there might might give them. 
Well, I mean, it's not uncommon for even NFL teams to do that. Look at the Bengals. I mean, they rotate in guys all the time, even in the same draft. Right. So, right. Get out of here, Ed. Okay. Um, so, moving on to linebackers. Uh, we lost Malik Clements, who started 12 games himself. Uh, 68 tackles, 7.5 for loss, 2 sacks, 2 forced fumbles. That's a lot of production coming from a linebacker. But we are returning starters, uh, senior Perry Young, senior Brian Wright, and junior Jarrell Wright. Or Jarrell White, I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of production from these guys last year. This is pretty deep core in the linebacker core, right? Yeah, I mean, Clements, I think he's kind of like been overlooked because he was their leading tackler last year, and, and that is a big loss. But in terms, I, you know, I, I honestly, I think they're deeper at that position this year just from progress and some of the new guys they brought in and development of guys from last year. You know, Perry Wright's coming back from the ACL tear, but it's kind of remarkable. Like, you would not know it from the way he runs around the field. He's, he's 100%. He's going, you know, balls to the wall, sideline side to sideline every play. And he's he's really kind of the energy and sets the tone for the, the defense. And I think you saw that last year after he got hurt because they lost a little bit of that. Um, be right, he's back in the middle. Uh, he, he missed a little bit of camp with a concussion, but I just talked to him today and he's feeling really good and he's had a good last week or so of camp. They also feel really good about Jewel DeBlanco. Um, he can play either weak side or middle. And he's, I think, one of the, one of the definitely the the top offseason in terms of you know progression that that he's made and they feel really comfortable with him in there and then yeah we, we talked about a little bit before with sniper you know with white and beavers you get two totally different looks and two totally different body types and styles of player at that position but they feel really good about both of them uh and and i think you're the van ty van Fossen's another guy who can come in and back up um Perry Perry Young if he needs to. I think they're especially with those those first five guys I mentioned, but even Van Fossen, that's you know, it's another case of them feeling really comfortable with putting any of those guys in there. So moving on to running backs, because I can't think of anything else you didn't cover in that little blurb. Well done. <laughs> um, running backs, we got the whole band back this year. You got Michael Warren, the second, coming back this year after an outstanding season last year. He's going to be a junior. Um, you also have junior Jared Dokes, um, who people forget was pretty much the bell cow the year before. Uh, you also have sophomores Charles McClelland and Tavion Thomas that had, I mean, coming in as backup to Michael Warren when we had blowout games. They kind of did some things on their own as well. So, is this the deepest position group that UC has? It's either that or tight end. Um, but there's, you know, ton of talent at, at tight end. They're going to have five guys that are going to play there. But, yeah, in, in terms of running back, you arguably have four guys who could start on the vast majority of, of college teams, certainly G5 teams. Um, you know, Warren's, Warren's the starter, and we know what he can do. I'm going to write a little bit about it later this week and some other people have mentioned it. he's he's actually dropped a few pounds and looked a little bit quicker um and oh, so i talked to him a little bit about that uh dokes I, I i i agree with you i think people forget you know what he can bring and, and how good he is and i i don't think it'll take long for them to kind of realize that and mcclellan's the other guy who i think is, is kind of moved clearly into the third spot um or even if you know if you go 1a 1b 1c you know or maybe 1a 1b with with Warren and, and Dokes and one and two with McClellan, you know what he offers them from 
a versatility athleticism standpoint, using him in the passing game, his speed. Uh, he's, he's just crazy talented and, and is going to get a lot more run this year. Uh, Tavion Thomas, he's he's the wild card. I mean, it's it's been talked about and reported. He has been in the doghouse for the vast majority of, of camp, has not been out there and practicing for the past week or so. And this is just a guy who, you know, he, he has some maturity issues and um, just has kind of struggled to adapt to the college game. And I, I know they've struggled with him before, and they're, they've really tried to do everything they can to kind of have it click with him. And, and I think maybe kind of the, the short vacation that he's gotten during camp will, will help get that point across. So I'm not sure at what point he'll be able to get out of the doghouse in terms of coming back on the, the field and playing meaningful snaps when the season starts. But he is also one of those guys who's just so talented that it, it probably won't take long for him to get right back into the swing of things. Um, so, yeah, with, with all four of those guys, and then even uh, Ryan Montgomery, who is, is way buried down the depth chart, but he, he looks promising too and might get a chance to return kicks this year. Uh, you know, I, they, they have to feel really good uh, about that position. Now, with so many Chiefs and maybe not enough Indians there at that position, how are these guys getting along? Is this going to be a, a situation where, you know, Warren, we've seen Warren not want to come out of games before. Is this going to be a thing that we have to worry about at all during the season? I mean, they're all getting along great now because, you know, they haven't, they haven't played any games. They're just sure. camp. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. This is something Mike Denbrock's talked about. Like, i got to figure out a way to get the ball to all of them. Um, I think, yes, Warren doesn't like to come out of games and he wants to be the bell cow, but you also saw, you know, towards the end of last year, the last couple of regular season games, he missed the season game, and that was just, because he got worn down. They put way yeah. too much of a workload on him because they had to because of Dokes being out. And they're going to be able to avoid that this year. And, you know, you never want to talk about injuries, but that's also assuming everyone's healthy. You could have made this similar argument going into last season and right. Dokes ends up missing the whole year. So, unfortunately, at that position, having a lot of depth is important because it's just so prone to injury. So, right now, you know, health-wise, they're all, they're all looking good and in good shape, but... If you have if end up having a situation where a guy even just picks up a thing and, and misses a game or two or something like that, it'll be great to to have that much depth there. So, you know, I'm sure all of them will want more carries than they'll end up getting this year. But I think in the long run for the the team, having the the versatility and and having kind of the freshness of being able to rotate them in and out will will work really well. And it's it's like anything else. If they're winning, everyone will be happy. As we had this same conversation last year when we were doing UC preview with you last year, I think we did have that same exact conversation actually. Um, mm-hmm. So with with the depth and everything, with the running backs, how the hell are we even going to pass the ball this year with the offense? Yeah, I, I do think they actually want to throw the ball a little bit more, um, and and you know maybe not have be leaned so heavily towards a, a run team. The offensive line can run block. The, they have great running backs. The running game is going to be an important part of what they do. And also just, like, it matches up well with their, you know, they, they can play tough defense. They can run the ball. That's that's going to be kind of their bread and butter. Uh, but, you know, I, whether it's because Dez has a little bit more experience at quarterback and has another year under his belt, they're going to be able to open up a few more things. There are questions at wide receiver, but they also have found a couple answers in a couple spots, I think. Uh, so I think it's just going to be a product of 
how how each game plan you know plays out. There might be some teams where they do just smash and pound the ball on the ground, but I, I think having the opportunity to throw the ball a little bit more, you'll see that uh, a few times this year. So moving on to what I believe might be your favorite position group, uh, the tight ends. Um, <laughs> We are returning the starter, senior Josiah DeGuara, who uh, your boy Chad Brendel gushed on Twitter about this week. Um, mm-hmm. But who else should we be watching out for of these guys? Because he's the only yeah, name I think that I mean, anybody's familiar with at this point. DeGuara, and he's the clear starter, and he's he can kind of do everything. And So the, the new wrinkle with uh, the, the tight end group this year is this K position that they've kind of created, which – is really just a slot tight end um, player, and they've named it in honor of Travis Kelsey. Um, but it, it's really just a way to get a tight end, you know, out off the line and into kind of a more receiving spot. So it, it basically be like subbing out a slot receiver, or instead of going four wide receivers, it's three wide receivers and a and a tight end. And you know, the thing with Deguar is is he can play that position, or he can he can come in and line up on the line and block. And that's what gives him great versatility. Um, if he's out wide or in, in a K spot or, or kind of in a receiving mode, then Bruno LaBelle is the guy. He's kind of the next guy up to the tight end who's going to block on the line. And, and he can, they can throw the ball to him if they need to, but he's going to, that's kind of his role. So Josh Wiley, the redshirt freshman from LaSalle. I read about him this week. He's, he's kind of the, the K option guy. And, and I think when, when you want to see them open it up, you're going to see him and Aguirre on the field together at the same time. And he's Wiley's just had a great camp and, and has, has looked really sharp all off season. Uh, Will Huber is another guy who I think is kind of more in-line blocking, um, similar mold to LaBelle. And then Leonard Taylor is, I would, you know, he's not quite to DeGuar's level yet, obviously, but I think he has a similar potential in that he can do everything. He can be the dual threat type of guy. And it might be another year before we get to see that in full force because DeGuar is still there. But uh, they just, you know, they have so much versatility there. They have so many options. They've run some four tight end sets at at times in in camp and done some different things with that. So it's just a, a group with a lot of talent and a lot of possibilities. Now, did Wiley, did he redshirt last year? Yeah, so he missed. He got hurt in camp, collarbone, clavicle, kind of one of those deals, and he ended up playing just, uh, he either played three or four games, but, you know, the new rule, you can play four and still redshirt. So uh, he's, a, he's a redshirt freshman. So moving on to special teams, my dude James Smith, I'm also a Smith, wears number 37, my favorite number. So we are returning. Aaron has a huge crush on this That's guy. fine. He, he also has an Australian <laughs> accent. You can't be mad about any of that. He's also a handsome human being. That's fine. Um, junior punter no, James no Smith. Lies. No lies so far. <laughs> See, he's with me. He gets it. All right, then. Um, so we're returning James Smith, and he's uh, a second-team All-American preseason, right? Yeah, in, in a couple of different, um, I think SI is the most recent one, but he's popped up on a couple of different lists, yeah. Um, and then there's a big question mark at kicker. At least there was going into higher ground. Um, curious to see how that all kind of played out. So, uh, And that's not even getting to the uh, the returners. Yeah, you know, Smith, there, there really isn't much to talk about. It's, you know, I think I wrote, when I wrote about him, it's like, 
even as celebrated as he is, he's still underrated. Like he's he's that good, um, and he just gives them the change of field potential that most college teams don't have. As far as place kickers, based on what we've seen so far, my, my guess will be that Sam Crosa, who's the graduate transfer who came mm-hmm. in this this off season. I think he's going to be the, basically the first guy to get a shot. Uh, you know, we'll see. They still have some, you know, some kicking competition to do in practice before the first game. But at least right now, I think he's leading that. Um, so, but it'll it'll be interesting to see. You know, part of the reason they brought all these guys in. Cole Smith last year had a good camp and then struggled some in the actual game. So I think if Crosa gets out there and and struggles a little bit, you might see someone replace it. But based on what he's done so far, I think he's probably the guy. So then, are we going to see, last year was Alden Knight, Charles McClelland, and James Wiggins as the returners, as they kind of emerge as even more important starters, um, or at least with James Wiggins being the starter, and then uh, McClelland kind of being that 1C guy you were talking about. Um, Alden Knight's not a starter to my knowledge at this point, but are we going to see those guys unseated as returners this year? Yeah, and actually, they actually moved all night to defensive back. He's been playing at corner um, so okay. far. He, I think he'll probably start as the punt returner just because, like, the biggest thing with punt returners is don't screw up, don't fumble. I believe he had one fumble last year, but for the most part, he did. He was pretty good and pretty solid there. Um, I do think they're going to give Ryan Montgomery some chances, probably more on kickoff returns, but maybe on punt returns to go back there. Uh, I. You know, there are benefits to having James Wiggins out there. Obviously, I just think the risks totally outweigh that, so I would be surprised if he's out there much at all in that capacity. Um, and Trey Tucker is, is one who I think down the road will, will be really interesting there. I just I would be surprised if they threw a true freshman out there to, to return kicks. Uh, so I, I think Montgomery and... Uh, and Alden Knight will be the main two guys, and then you might see McClellan as kind of like that second guy on on kickoff out there all right moving on to quarterback my favorite guy des ritter how much has he grown up since last year yeah i mean he's he's always been you know like wise beyond his years and mature for his age but i i think you're starting to see just you know kind of the confidence that comes with i think the way gino Badoli put it to me earlier this spring was like the confidence of being a guy who's gone out there and done it before and, and you're seeing that this year. Uh, so, yeah, you know, they they feel really comfortable with him. They're going to give him a little bit more leeway and control over the offense and, and open things up a little bit more with him. But uh, he's, he's definitely kind of grabbed hold of that, that starting spot coming out of last year. So what are we going to notice about Ritter this year that we didn't notice last year? I think he'll run less, um, you know, both by design but also as kind of a, a reaction to whatever he's seen. I, I think he feels a little bit more comfortable in the pocket and going through his reads. And so because of that, I think there'll be, you know, less chances for him or less opportunities where he'll bail out and, and take off and run and he might stay in there and, and look to pass a little bit longer. And also just part, part of protecting him and, and part of the offense, I think they'll design to run him a little bit less this season. So I think you'll see a little bit more of a of a not pocket passer because he's going to move around, but but more of a throwing quarterback than than a running quarterback that he was last year. So with Hayden Moore gone, who's going to get the reins if Ritter goes down? Ben Bryant, he's a pretty clear backup. Um, you know, he's a, he's a redshirt freshman. He was able to play, I think, at least one game last year. I think you're right. Um, and still redshirt. And, 
and uh, he's got a cannon. Like that's his big thing. He can he can really whip the ball. Um, you know, I don't think I think the only time you're going to see him is, is if it's a blowout or or you know if, if Ritter gets hurt. I don't think they're going to you know necessarily look to get him in otherwise. But if if that's the case, I I think they're starting to feel more and more comfortable with with his ability to do that. So in our secondary, we lost starter Tyrell Gilbert. We have returning starters uh, Kobe Bryant, who might be my favorite player on this team, actually. Um, he's coming back as a junior. And then we also have senior Cam Jeffries at cornerback. We also have big game James Wiggins coming back as a junior and Derek Forrest at safety. So is anyone going to unseat any of these starters? No, you know, I think the, the biggest chance you had was Arquan Bush maybe taking that that outside corner spot away from from Camp Jeffries, but he he picked up a a toe injury or kind of reaggravated a toe injury. He's going to be out, out at least the first couple games, um, and and maybe look to be packed by Marshall or UCF. But he's going to be a really good player, and, and he's going to have a I think a great UC career eventually. But you know, James and, and James Wiggins and Derek Forrest really have locked down the safety spots. It's good that they have some depth there so they can rotate if they need to, but those guys are going to be out there. Kobe, he had a really good year last year, but it's he's clearly kind of established himself as a shutdown corner. I was talking with, with Chad about this at, at camp today. Like he's, He was probably both of our MVPs of, of, of fall camp preseason just because you know, I know he claimed that no one caught a pass on him during those three weeks. I don't know if that's like 100% true, but the fact that I can't immediately remember someone catching a pass on him shows you just how good of a of a camp he had. I mean, he was ridiculous. They moved him to the the boundary side, which is kind of the shorter side of the field, where a lot of times other teams stack their best receiver, and he's just been lights out all of camp. And and I think you're. You might not even notice him a lot in some games this year because some teams just might completely avoid throwing at him. So is there anyone else to watch for in the secondary? I mean, I think those two, uh, the two freshmen, uh, okay. Gardner and Harris, I do think they'll, they'll play some just because, you know, you're always going to have some, whether it's injury or rotating in at that cornerback. Uh, I, I think they'll, they'll get on the field at some point this year. Taj Ward is a guy who they really needed him and, um, spring ball because Kobe didn't practice, Cam Jeffries, Arquan, all those guys were out with injuries. And so Taj was kind of the number one corner just be- because they were all out. And I-, I think he really did himself a lot of favors. And so I think you might see him get on the field some this year. Uh, and, and, and he's been, he's been pretty solid, but no, I, you know, the, the whole thing with them is they like to stay in their base defense and having James Wiggins as a guy who can cover and play safety really gives them the ability to do that. So the, those main guys that we talked about, they're they're gonna really take the majority of the snaps there. So moving on to wide receiver, an article you haven't posted yet. Um, we lost a huge leader in Khalil Lewis, and um, I mean, there's kind of a crapshoot. Who's gonna be the early season starters? So uh, Rashad Madaris has has the slot spot locked down and kind of Jay Sean Jackson's the one guy right behind him. They both had really good years last year. The biggest question was on the outside. Um, kind of the main guy who's emerged there is Alec Pierce, and I, I wrote a lot about him in that um, wide receiver piece that I'll, that'll post on Wednesday. Uh, and then the other outside guy who's kind of on track to start at the moment is Trent Cloud, but I, I think 
that's a situation where at both outside spots, but specifically that one is where you're going to see a lot of the, the rotation and maybe receiver by committee. So Trent Cloud, Thomas Geddes, who started a lot last year. Um, Malik Modes looked really good early in camp, but then kind of picked up a hyperextended knee injury, so he might miss a week or so to start the year. Uh, same kind of with Blue Smith we talked about earlier. He was he was really trending well, but the injury might put him back a little bit. Um, but you know, Javen Hall, Yanez Rogers, those are those are some guys who you know have have been on the the team. I guess Javen's junior. Giannis was just there last year, but to have at least a year in the system, and, and I think they're going to be pushing for snaps. But for the most part, I think it'll be at least early on until some guys get healthy, maybe a Trent Cloud, Thomas Geddes uh, rotation there specifically. Do you think anyone's going to stand out the, this year the way that Lewis did last year? I mean, I think Medeiros has that in him, and I wouldn't be surprised if at times they kick Medeiros over Jason to the outside, you know, whether it's so they can get a tight end in there or just to kind of get some different matchup, matchups. So I think Medeiros with maybe a little bit more opportunity, I don't know that he'll match Lewis. I don't know that anyone will match Lewis's statistics, but, you know, I think he has that potential in him and definitely like a big play guy. He probably has the fastest 40 on the team maybe outside of Tucker. Um, I, I've been really impressed with Pierce, and I think he's he's been the you know clear guy who has emerged as an outside consistent threat, and he's stayed healthy, and and he's made a lot of plays, and you know he's made plays at all levels. It's not just throwing it up top to him. He, he's he's really worked on kind of his intermediate game. So I think he'll he'll flash quite a bit, and will definitely be out there a lot. I'm I'm interested to see once. Moj and Blue Smith get back from injury because those are two guys. Moj especially was looking really strong um, early in camp, and and just the the injuries um, have maybe set that back a little bit. But once they get back on the field, I'll, I'll be interested to see if they can kind of pick up where they left off. Fair enough. Moving on to offensive line, our last group position. Is this the biggest question mark on the team currently? Either that or wide receiver, yeah. I mean, specifically the, the kind of that second t- tackle position. And once once James Hudson got his waiver denied, uh, f- figuring out who was going to end up there, uh, I think was that or you know, who's going to emerge at wide receiver. Those, I think, are the two big questions for him. So you projected a starting line of James Hudson at left tackle, question marks at left guard, Jakari Robinson at center, Morgan James at right guard, and Chris Ferguson at right tackle. How are you feeling right now about that proje- projection? So obviously Hudson's not going to be at left tackle. Um, right. Jeremy Cooper has he's he's locked now at that left guard spot. They're really happy with him. He's just a redshirt freshman, but um, they they feel like he's a guy who's going to come in and start for the next four years. So he, it's he's one of those things where like you, you honestly don't even notice him or, or feel like you hear much from him in camp, and that's a good thing because they feel great about him. Uh, Jakari Robinson, I wrote a little bit about him earlier in camp, but you know he's he's had a really strong off season and made a lot of growth, and they feel good about him at center. And you know, in retrospect, he kind of had the benefit of of coming in for a few starts last year when Garrett Campbell got hurt. Morgan James, he's got the the right guard spot locked down. Uh, old man Morgan, and you know, he's, <laughs> he's going to be one of the the leaders of the team. The tackles are interesting. It's definitely going to be Ferg, um, but what they've it seems like Lorenz Metz, the redshirt freshman from Germany, who's six foot ten and just like 
you know, an Ivan Drago type <laughs> type character, folk hero. Uh, he has kind of emerged as the starter, the second offensive tackle starter, which everyone assumed would have been at right with them moving Ferg over to, to the left side. But just the past couple of days in practice, they've actually been trying Mets out on the left side. And I think that's, you know, he's still pretty new to the game and the, the position, obviously. And I think he might feel a little bit more comfortable on the left side. I don't know that that means he'll end up there, but I, I think they want to give it a shot and look at it on film just to see how they feel about it. But at least right now, it seems like Ferg and, and Mets will be the two, the two tackles. So gun to your head, that's the starting line against UCLA next week? That's definitely the starting line. If I had to pick, I'd probably still say that Ferg ends up on the left side and Mets on the right. I just think putting up a, a redshirt freshman who's pretty green as the blindside blocker is, is a, is a big ask early on. Um, but yeah, the only, the only question in my mind is where they line up with those tackles. But I think, I think those five, I feel, I feel pretty confident that's how it'll end up. All right. So winding down to our last few questions here, all in all, what are your personal expectations? I know you like to beat around the bush. You don't like to give direct answers, (laughs) but what are your personal expectations of the team this year? I think we will we will know a lot about them in the first two games. Um, I don't. I, I will not predict for them to beat Ohio State now or probably even leading up to that game. Um, but if they can if they can beat UCLA at home, which I think they should, even though UCLA should be better. And if they can at least not get you know blown off the field, if they look like they belong against Ohio State, then I I think all the, the high expectations that people have coming from the team last year, winning eleven games and all that kind of stuff, like they they can fulfill those. And it might mean they lose more than two games just because they have a tougher schedule. But right away they they can prove like yes we we belong on the same field as as Ohio State. We can take care of business against UCLA, a power conference on our home turf and and then that that carries into to conference play if you know they come out and they let UCLA or barely squeak by and just kind of get run off by by Ohio State it doesn't mean that they're not going to have a good season it doesn't mean that they could still not go on and, and win the American Conference because I think that opportunity is there especially with the injuries UCF has at, at quarterback but it, it will it will kind of reset the expectations that I think people have. And, and again, that doesn't mean that they won't still win eight, nine, ten games and, and go to a good bowl game, but it, it won't be the the really peak high-level expectations that, that people rightfully have after what they saw last year in this offseason. So is it fair to say that this year's team could be a better team without the record reflecting it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been like the drum I've been beating the whole time. It's, it's just a tougher, it's a much tougher schedule. Marshall's a really tough team that they're getting out of conference. They have to go on the road. Um, they get Houston and Memphis on the road. They avoided both those teams last year. They have to go on the road to USF. Like, you know, they could very easily be, you know, eight and four, eight and five, however it ended up, nine and four, you know, could maybe get to, to 10 wins. I, actually, I think that'll be tough. But I, I think if you were to actually kind of go head to head, if that if it ends up working out that way, head to head, they could still end up being better and, and still making progress from, from what they did last year, even though they won 11 games. Now we got a lot of guys, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that are on the uh, preseason watch lists 
for a lot of these awards. So how are you feeling about the number 34 preseason rank? I was kind of surprised. Um, and I, I think someone, I saw it running around out there today that it was like only six or seven voters from for the AP had them in their top 25, um, which I, I think was kind of surprising. But, you know, I think, I think that's a product of them people looking at those first two games they have on the schedule and seeing like, yeah, they went 11 and two last year, but they caught people by surprise and they had gone four and eight, two consecutive years before that. So it's, it's, to me, it's kind of like a prove it call, which is, yeah, you had a good year last year. Yeah. You're bringing back a lot of talent, but you've got to prove it. And you have two really prime opportunities to start off the schedule to, to prove it. So, I, I, I could see a scenario where they beat UCLA and, and hang tough with, with Ohio State and, and they actually end up being ranked much higher, you know, coming out of those those two games than they are right now. But I think for some people, they clearly just they wanted to have a little bit bigger sample size before they bought into that. So are they given athletic writers votes yet or no? One of Matt Brown, who's one of our, our editors and writers, he, he has an AP vote and he actually had UC 20th which was the highest anyone um, <laughs> had them um, among AP voters. So shout out to Matt Brown, well done. AP fans. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he's, he's the AP voter that we have on our staff, and he clearly, you know, sees something that he likes in UC and, and, and had them higher than anyone else. But I, I was I was surprised that few other people felt the same way. So where do you think we finish in the conference then? <sighs> As much as I am kind of dreading that day after Thanksgiving trip to Memphis being an important one, um, I kind of think it will be because I think UC has, you know, they have a prime opportunity to, to take over the East with getting UCF at home early in the season, prime time, um, and and a, and a kind of unknown at quarterback with Milton being, being injured. Uh, so I, I think they have a shot to make it to the conference championship game. Um, and I, I think the benefit from them is that uh, the toughest team they'll play uh, all season will in conference will be UCF and they wouldn't face them in the championship game. Uh, so, you know, I, I know we mentioned that I kind of hate making predictions, especially this early, but uh, I, I guess I will say I will be shocked if they get to that, day after Thanksgiving game with Memphis, and it's not a potential preview of uh, the conference championship game. So the last thing that I have, since you hate it so much, and I don't even want you to go into any detail at all, I just want you to tell me, win or loss, I'm going to make you predict the season because you hate it. Okay, so I just have to give you just no explanation. No explanations, just win or loss, and we'll just give a dramatic pause, move on to the next game. Okay. Fair um, one, one thing I do love about the schedule, though, I want to say this before I even get into it. Every other game is an away game or a home game. Mm-hmm. And as a season yeah. ticket holder, that's beautiful. You get to go to a game, and then you get to take a weekend off. And then you get to go to a game and take a weekend off. I'm sure – are you traveling to all the games? I won't travel to all of them, but I'll travel to to some of them, especially like early on. You know, those non-conference are in driving distance, so nice I agree with yeah. you that it's it's nice to, the way it broke out. I love it. All right, so UCLA on August 29th. Win. Ohio State currently ranked number five, September seventh. Loss. 
and that is at Ohio State. Uh, Miami, Ohio at home on September 14th. Win. At Marshall on September 28th. Win. Number 17, UCF at home. Last time we got blown out at home by UCF um, on October 4th. Lost. Fair enough. At Houston on October 12th. Win. Tulsa uh, on October 19th. Win. At East Carolina on November 2nd. Win. UConn at home on November 9th. Win. I hope so. (laughs) Uh, At UCF. Or, I'm sorry, at USF, South Florida, uh, November 16th. Loss. Uh, Temple at home on November 23rd. Win. And at Memphis to finish the season, November 29th. Win. All right, so that puts us at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. You got us at 9 and 3. Yeah, right? that sounds right. Okay. Well, For the regular season. Anything else you want to wrap up with before we uh, say our pleasant goodbyes? No, you know, I appreciate you guys, you know, doing this and having me on and for anybody listening or anyone along at the athletic, I, I appreciate it. It's been it's been a really fun last season and off season, and um, it's been a it's a, been a fun team to cover. And obviously, kind of the fan responses has made that even more the case. So I appreciate all all of the UC fans listening and reading along. You've been very kind to us uh, since we've met on uh, on Twitter and then in person at UC games when you creeped him out the basketball That's game. That's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> No, we appreciate all the time that you've given us. He doesn't talk about me the same way he talks about James Smith, obviously. I mean, I get lost in your eyes every time. Come on, man. you got pretty eyes. Um, In any case, we love the the time and attention that you give to us. Um, We we couldn't be more appreciative of it. Don't forget to check out Justin Williams. He is at Williams underscore Justin on Twitter. You can also check him out on The Athletic, which just surpassed 600,000 subscribers. Congratulations. And I believe if I heard the commercial right, you guys are offering 40% off right now if you want to do a shameless plug for The Athletic. Yeah, now look, this is, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've heard, but this is actually kind of a specific special thing, 40% off. That's that's not that's not ever available out there. This is just kind of something they special let me do. Um, so, if, if you want to get 40% off and you're not a subscriber, you can, I believe it's the college football kickoff special. You can subscribe today for, uh, for 40% off. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, that's, that's a special gift from, from me to you. Anything you have to do to get that 40% off? Is it, like, go through a certain website or a certain link or anything? Yeah, so it's theathletic.com slash CFB kickoff. There you go. Subscribe to The Athletic. It's a great read. If nothing else, check it out for 40% off. If you hate it, unsubscribe. Who cares? But um, I mean, Justin <laughs> cares. But it's it's great. I am way outside of my uh, promotional offer at this point. So <laughs> I'm just paying full price, and I don't even care. Um, we'll Justin, appreciate it. Thank you so much again for your time tonight. And we'll, we'll talk again uh, as the season progresses, I suppose. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. You got it. Thank you.
So up next, we have Brandon from the Den Tailgate uh, for your UC tailgating uh, specialties, I suppose. Um, Brandon reached out to us, so we wanted to give him the opportunity to hop on with us. So Brandon, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. No you problem. can follow Brandon on any social media platform at uh, the Den UC, uh, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, correct? You got it. Awesome. All right. So you are at the uh, the commons in the alleyway next to the glass dorms, correct? Yep. That's where we're set up, right next to those uh, two new dorms that they renovated. We have a big trailer with the tv on it dj at every game or um we got a big setup for for the tailgate who's your dj he, he's actually um a former bearcat dj mike wazowski is uh is our resident dj this season <laughs> yeah so he came he came and did a couple games last year for us uh and it was great um so he said he can come and do this season as well so it's going to be a big party Oh, Hopefully, awesome. because we're going to be celebrating a lot of wins. I, uh, but yeah, it'll be a good time. I definitely hope the same. Kind of walk me through this. What sets your tailgate apart from some of the other UC tailgates for those of you who haven't tailgated outside of literally like your own car in one of the garages? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, we all kind of understand UC tailgating is super unique being an urban campus. So, when I graduated five years ago, Myself and a group of friends mainly just wanted to, to stay connected, and a great place to do that is uh, tailgating UC games. From then, it, it kind of grew, and we came up with this model of being an open group. So we said for X amount of dollars, depending on you know, how much we really want to put into it each season, you can have a spot to, to come tailgate. And then myself and um, a small group kind of coordinate and program the whole thing. So this is our, our first season, and each year has had its own little twist. We like to put little themes to it. Uh, this year is our um, going back to college sort of theme, being our, our fifth year. So our first tailgate theme is uh, Welcome Weekend. We're going to get uh, Adriatica's Pizza, just like you would as a freshman coming onto campus. Um, so what sets us apart is really the, the open invitation to park your car in Clifton, um, grab a six-pack on your way into, uh, into the commons, throw it in our community cooler, um, and we'll take care of the rest. So where we're at this season is a $20 season pass. That's it. So we're, we're, we're out right now pushing, pushing those season passes. We're just a couple days away from our first our first tailgate, and um, our goal this year, kind of coincidentally with UC's bicentennial, is to get 200 tailgaters with the season pass. Nice. Oh, nice. So our record, our record is 122 last season. So I'm really thinking that with uh, you know the success that the team had last year, and we have a great home schedule, um, we're going to push for 200. Very nice. And what's that? What's that season pass get you? Yeah, so um, all the all the tailgates, of course, so there's six tailgates. We are also going to have some watch parties scattered around town. We are working with Braxton and uh, pushing nice. um, 
some of their like five hard seltzer and their garage beer. So Braxton's going to be a great partner for us. There's going to be food at, at all the tailgates. Uh, so like I said, we're starting off with pizza and it'll, it'll expand all season long. Last year we had Montgomery Inn. We had um, some Cajun food. We kind of did some themes last year based on the teams that were coming in. So we had Cajun food for Tulane. So that was pretty neat. Uh, so we'll have as much food as we can buy each week. We'll have as much Braxton and Vibe as we could buy each week. And everyone's 20 bucks just goes into that pot. And all the things that you'd have to worry about, like, oh, we got to get ice. We might need some bottled water. All that stuff's taken care of at the trailer. Nice. You don't have to pack it up your own. So is it a BYOB party or is it as far as, I mean, it sounds like you, you're providing food, sure. but... What's going on with the with, with drink outside of uh, yep. a little bit of Braxton? Yep, yep. So that part could be a little bit confusing. So we do like to try and and have some supplied. Obviously, we have a great partner last year. We were working with Taps this year. We um, have developed a relationship with Braxton. But that stuff does cost money. And, um, you know, we try to keep everything affordable at that $20 season pass. So there will be some available while it lasts. But we do really push like, an, like a community cooler grab uh you know some beers that you have in your fridge and we have a couple big like igloo coolers that you can toss them in so get there early is what you're saying yes if you want (laughs) to if you want to get the good craft beer from braxton you gotta get there early which at uh probably should say that we're uh we're set up every game at least three hours ahead of time okay nice nice Nice. will you be and all that info we set up a facebook event all that stuff gets pushed out online We'll be having any of the uh, Moorline Gleer's Getta beer. I, I have you had it? I've not. I've we not did. tried that. We yeah, had it on we, the show. We reviewed it on the show. Don't, it was don't get it. Terrible. Don't get it. Horrible. Don't get it. Horrible idea. <laughs> well, um, you you can uh, redeem yourself, and maybe we'll have some of uh, the Braxton Graders beer at the tailgate. You can come and oh, and uh, oh, squench be... your thirst. He's speaking my redeem language. Yourself from that. <laughs> Sounds delicious. All right, so um, I know we were talking off-air. You had mentioned something about a bus trip. Do you want to delve into that a little bit more, as I have no clue what you're talking about with that? Yeah, I mean, to be to be honest with you, I'm hoping that by the time um, most of, of, of this message reaches uh, people's headphones that we're going to be really close to being sold out. But we do have a charter bus going out to Columbus. We're going to leave Cincinnati in the morning, uh, that Saturday morning the 7th, about 7 a.m., and we're going to come back after the game. So it's going to drop us off at, uh, at a centralized tailgate spot. I'm actually in communication with um, some alum, uh, UC alumni network up in, up in Columbus that's working on getting a whole bunch of spaces reserved and whatnot. Uh, so we'll tailgate the whole thing. You know, if people have tickets, they'll be go to the game, have some time to get back to the bus. And for cheaper than uh, an Uber to a bar downtown. You can get all the way up to Columbus, have yourself a good day and uh, get back. So we have about 10 seats left at the moment and it's uh, 35 bucks. Nice. Now, if we actually win that game, prepare to have your bus overturned and set on fire by angry <laughs> Ohio State fans. We, we are, we're going to operate on a strict policy of this bus is leaving a half an hour after the game, no matter when or what. <laughs> to be honest, the last time we were up there, me and my wife, and um, you know, we're 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 not 
um, angry fans. You know, we're 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 nice people, but um, when when we lost that game, we were just trying to have have dinner. You know, get a drink, and uh, it was not the most friendly place to be. So that was a big motivation in getting this bus and getting back down to Cincinnati. Fair enough. Now, is there a max capacity for your tailgate? So the way that our space is um, is kind of situated on the commons, it's pretty open. I'd say last year at uh, the really crowded games, I didn't do an exact head count, but we probably had north of 300 people sprawled out. Uh, so there's definitely a point where it gets crowded, but it takes some effort. Is there um, like when you go ahead? Yeah, when you get over and by those dorms, and they have these big alleyways and driveways where like the service, uh, like the maintenance vehicles can get in and out of. Things kind of open up um, at our spot, so there's plenty of room for. We have cornhole. Sometimes we have tan jam out. Uh, the actually the tailgate spot next to us has that that fouling game. It's the, um, the football and the bowling pins. So there's oh, plenty fooling. of space hmm. for people. So fooling. if That's it gets too crowded, thing. we'll put the we'll put the cornhole away. And there's um, we, we have like high top bar tables. So yeah, it's a, it's a good setup. Nice. So do you have like caution tape around this area? Like, is it pretty <laughs> pretty identifiable if you're just wandering aimlessly? Maybe you've had sure. a six pack already. <laughs> sure. Asking yeah. for a friend. Um, definitely. So we are on the, I believe we are the last trailer that has a um, like full TV set up on it. Like it's a fully dedicated tailgate trailer. Uh, so the Republic of Cincinnati is a, a painted trailer that's white, yeah. like two or three st- stops away from us. So if you go north towards uh, the EPA building and um, Burnett Woods, in that direction, then you'll get to this black painted trailer. That's the den, uh, and it's it's pretty unique. It's got a big Bearcat helmet on the side. It has UC logos front and back, and uh, we usually have our flag flying. It's kind of hidden by the trees, so it's tough to see if you're um, over by the New College of Business or the Rec Center. You just kind of have to mingle your way through campus, and then you'll get to us. Is this year's? I think I'm on your Instagram page here with uh, like the big window in the front on the side of the trailer. Yep, yep, that's where the TV is. Oh yeah, you'll definitely recognize that. Sure, and you know the easiest thing that I say is if you walk to the split of the two dorms, the two new glass dorms. If you walk directly to the middle of them, you're gonna walk right past us, and you can't miss it. Nice. Now, actually, two seasons ago, when they uh, they altered the catwalk to come. Down the down those stairs, it we could reach our hand out and give the team a high five. So that's the that's the pathway that we're on. Now, when you pay your twenty dollars, do you get like a super sweet lanyard to wear for the season, or are you put on a list at or that point in time? Like a, you, how, how does anybody know that you are a season pass <laughs> yep. holder for the den? Sure. So we do a couple things. Uh, we. We have koozies every season, new koozies printed. Last year we had it with Taft. This year we are going to give everyone that joins uh, a free koozie. So it's got a Den logo on it and a Braxton logo. So if you drink the normal canned craft beer, we got one of those. But we also have 
on the skinny koozie, if you drink their Vive Seltzer or White Cause or Michelob Ultras, we also got a bunch of those. Nice. So everyone that joins gets a free koozie on that. We also kind of run this slideshow on on the trailer, just kind of putting up our announcements. And, like, we have an antenna, uh, and we also have um, some other hookups to, to watch games, but there's not always something on. Like, next Thursday, there's not going to be right. anything else on that night. So we'll, we'll run... Our, our promos and we'll have a list of everyone that's joined up until that that moment up on the trailer. Will you be attempting to get Pat McAfee on Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> you know that day when everyone was tweeting at him, I definitely got in that mix. So I'm sure go. he has. If you were to go down a list of his invitations, we'd be on it. So we maybe, maybe he'll make his rounds. We invited him to be on the show and he hasn't responded yet. I don't think he will. I think that means guy. he respectfully declines. <laughs> he, he, he's a busy guy being a professional sports analyst. <laughs> he decided, yeah, <laughs> professional analyst. He's busy being busy. It's probably With not good for the brand. Anything else. <laughs> probably not good for the brand. <laughs> I'm also seeing, and maybe this was last year, a couple years ago, are these fanny packs? Oh, yeah, we do have some fanny packs left, <laughs> yep. Um, I love that. Yeah. So do, you, do you set up yeah, a merch a little, shop? A little, um, a little merch buy early last season to get fanny packs this year actually we just had some new stuff drop uh with um with our friends at 513 shirts so okay. we have some crew necks a ladies razorback tee and some t-shirts for sale on 513shirts.com right now so we do have a couple some fanny packs left so i'm selling those for a couple bucks uh yeah those are fun very nice i'm gonna get a, i'm gonna get a fanny pack for the show Sounds about right. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> hey, honestly, it's a great it's a great thing for a game day to put your tickets yeah. in it, your choosing, your keys, your keys. It's very versatile, almost uh, like cargo I, shorts. I didn't tell you not to get one. I just saying. said that sounds about right. I, I could put pacifiers in there. It'd be great. Hey, swing by next Thursday. I'll have one waiting for you. Dad life. Dad life. <laughs> <laughs> no awesome. Doubt. Um. I want to play a game with you, Brandon, before we let you go here, unless you got anything else right. to talk about with the tailgate. No, I mean, I'll just kind of wrap up and say, uh, at least on the tailgate front, um, that it's uh, it's going to be a fun season, no doubt. I, I really think that there's going to be some games where campus is, is going to be a magnet for, for Bearcats fans. And uh, I want to extend the invitation to all your listeners to come in Come a party with us and uh, enjoy the season with the Den. Well, I will say, as somebody who's owned tickets for the last two seasons, I generally tailgate in the uh, the parking lot right outside the uh, the Bogarts Underground Parking Garage, and there's not yep. a whole lot going on over there, really, ever. I'm pretty much just aimlessly wandering around at any given moment. <laughs> um, so it gives me somewhere to actually go this year. <laughs> I'm sure. kind of excited to actually join you, and we're going to be friends. Um, with that all said, it. you can expect twenty dollars uh, unless we get a show discount, and we'll talk about that off air. You don't have to say anything. Right now. <laughs> um, in any case, <laughs> all right. Just want to play a quick game with you because we played the same game with uh, Justin Williams, who is super uncomfortable giving his predictions for wins and losses. Uh, you had no idea you're going to be playing this game with us, but you're going to do it anyway. So, do it. UCLA, win or loss? Win. I like your style already. Ohio State, win or loss? I think we go up and get it done. Yes. 
So get win. That upset. Let's so that, win. Let's get that W. All right. That's a win. That's a bold move, Cotton. I take it. Miami, Ohio. I think it's a win, but I think this one is going to be another tricky uh, battle for the victory bell. After you so firmly planted your flag on Ohio State's block O, (laughs) Miami, Ohio is a tricky win. Baker. (laughs) College football, man. No one said it was easy. Any given Saturday, apparently, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Uh, Marshall, at Marshall. Um, We're going to win that game. Uh, UCF uh, at home. I struggle. I struggle with this pick and and the at Houston. I, I have a hard time saying we're we're gonna lose less than two games. So I I feel like they come in and and maybe get that one from us that Friday night. All right. Are we win, are we losing back to back with at Houston? I think I think we're gonna go through some midseason struggles and lose at Houston. All right. We'll find out. Tulsa at home. Oh, we can speed up. We're going to win the rest of the games. East Carolina, UConn, yeah. Um, <laughs> South Florida not giving us a run for their money? Nope. Nope, not this year. Very no one's going to be in that stadium. You still get it done. If a uh, tree falls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Um, and then Temple, and then at Memphis? Get Temple, get at Memphis, and uh, end on a high note. So right. I had to throw in some. I had to throw in some some games there. I mean, to be honest with you, I look at every single season, even during the Tuberville era, and I say, I don't, I don't really see any losses here. I think the last time was that Michigan game. Um, you know, everyone that knows me knows that I'm a big time optimist when it comes to Bearcat sports. So I struggled to pick a loss, but I had to pepper some in there. But I really think uh, it's going to be a special season for us. Tuberville, go to hell. Get a job. <laughs> Get a job, you bum. <laughs> and then, and then vote for me a couple years later. Yeah, so. I'm running. For I'm running for right governor. Right that. Yeah. I clearly love everyone. That. Yeah, exactly. That guy. Um, just to give you a heads up as to how you compared against Justin Williams, if you don't actually listen to the rest of the episode outside of your segment, um, Justin did project uh, us to lose at Ohio State. Um, you guys were on the same page for UCF. He projects a win at Houston. Uh, I, that was a predict and project uh, together combined. It was what that word was. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, he did project a loss, actually, at USF. I tried to give you an out on well, it. Well, there you go. We have some, you have some conflicting uh, predictions that makes for good content. He said 9-3. and three. You're going 10-2. and two. I like it. Either way, it's going to be better than the Bengals. More than likely, yeah. Yeah. All nope, right. I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna make my way down to Paul Brown on on uh, uh for this coming uh preseason game and I think that might be my my lone venture down for the season. Well I'd hope uh you're not gonna make it down there for the following preseason game, which is on Thursday. Yeah, don't do that. I bet the T V no, ratings I, I bet the T V ratings. I'll be missing that. T V ratings gotta be better for UC than for the Bengals fourth preseason for game. For sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. If not for the debut of Pat McAfee on, exactly. on ESPN a lot. Man, my dude gets it. It's good for the brand. He gets it. All right, Brandon, <laughs> uh, on your parting ways on the way out here, anything else you want to plug? Uh, I feel like we've covered everything. I just want to thank you guys for letting me come on and uh, love your show. 
and uh, hopefully I'll see you at the den. Cool. Um, real quick, twenty dollars. You just pay at the gate, or is there like a website on the website? Yep. Man. Yep. The den you see dot com. We're also on Venmo and the Cash App. So, anyways, that uh, technology will let me take your money. I got it set up. Yes. <laughs> Millennials, man. Millennials. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. All right. Don't forget, you can catch him anywhere that you log in to see your own beautiful face and likes and comments and what have you. He's at the UC Den, correct? Did I forget already? I might have when I was looking at the schedule. At the Den UC. Had it backwards. There you go. That's all we got. Brandon, thanks for hopping on the show. All right. Thanks, guys. That's going to wrap it up. Ed. Dude, that was a long one. I mean, did like you a get, Joe Rogan episode. It wasn't that bad. Did we you just get, didn't have any MD. What did you get? <laughs> did you get all of your answers? Questions answered. Jesus, questions answered for this UC upcoming season. Um, if we didn't, um, I'm not doing another one of these. Oh, well, I mean, not next, before Thursday next year. <laughs> yeah, well, next year, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm just saying, not before Thursday. All right. Yeah. So Ed, what do you th- what do you think? Ten and two, nine and three. How are you feeling? I'm not going through the entire list. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull Justin and say it's gonna be a great season. I hate you so much. No, you don't. Ladies and gentlemen, for Ed, I'm Aaron. We out. <laughs>